This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, June 23rd, 2022. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include a new phishing scam sends you voicemail notifications when you don't really have voicemail, how to detect if you're being scammed. The Strava fitness app is still causing problems, this time for the Israeli military. Plus, we'll be discussing all the things you can do with iCloud. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. We've got a lot of news this week, and some of it's really cool, and some of it's just weird. I want to start with one that I think I'm going to really like, and Mac Rumors has reported that iOS 16 will let iPhone users bypass CAPTCHAs in supported apps and websites. So it's not just iOS 16, it's also iPadOS 16, macOS Ventura. So the CAPTCHA is that thing where you get that little Hollywood Squares diagram and you have to click all the crosswalks or the motorcycles or the traffic lights. And you probably don't realize that you're helping Google build their self-driving car technology by indicating all of the crosswalks and traffic lights and motorcycles and bicycles and stairways, things that cars would need to recognize. And they're annoying. I can't tell you the number of times that I have to go through three or four of them on websites because Basically, what Google does is they already know what the answer is, and they're getting you to confirm it. But sometimes it doesn't work, and it's just a pain. So Apple has come out with this new system. In a, in a sense, it kind of sounds like Apple's got a kind of certificate that they can send to Google, which is going to verify that you're human. Yes, I'm so happy about this. If this actually works well and eliminates CAPTCHAs from web pages, at least in when you're using Safari, I assume, that would be a wonderful, wonderful benefit of having iOS 16. I, in fact, I might actually use iOS 16 more often, and maybe I might start using Safari if this is a Safari-exclusive thing in iOS 16. What's interesting about this is that Cloudflare and Fastly, which are two Content delivery network companies have announced support for what's called private access tokens, which allow this to work. And this means that potentially millions of websites will be able to use these even if they don't program this new feature into their websites. In other words, it may be on a different layer from their websites to provide access. So we're looking forward to this. iOS 16, iPadOS 16, macOS Ventura. So speaking of cookies, which we weren't really speaking of, we have a story which we had last week, Firefox's total cookie protection now available to all users by default. That actually sounds kind of boring. <laughs> well, the the thing that I thought was funny about this is like, oh, really? Like Firefox is announcing like uh, an anti-cookie thing tracking feature uh, like in 2022? Like we're still worried about cookies now? That's There's so many different ways that you can be tracked online that I, I feel like this is a little bit surprising. First of all, that they hadn't implemented something more like this earlier and second, that, you know, they're still, like, making a big deal about cookies. You know, oh, we're, we're managing cookies better. It's This is great. It's going to protect your privacy, except it won't, because there's a thousand other ways that you're tracked now. Well, speaking of making announcements of things that should have been announced a long time ago, this new Windows 11 privacy feature shows you when apps access your microphone, camera, or location. Isn't that exciting? I wish we had that on the Mac, the iPad, the... <laughs> iPhone and the Apple Watch, for example. I almost fell out of my chair when I saw this headline. 
Yeah, it's it's like, oh, really? Microsoft? Oh, yes, they're going to protect you and let you know when an app is going to access your microphone camera or location. It's, this is such an innovative feature. I, I can't think of any company that's ever done anything like this before. Yeah, um, Apple did this a long time ago. But good job, Microsoft. You're catching up. So I learned today, reading an article on ZDNet.com, that people don't check their voicemail. And we were talking that you guys don't even answer the phone when it rings. And I'm trying to wonder, I, I mean... It's not an age thing. Yes, Josh, you're younger than me. Is it a country-specific thing? I, I've heard young people say, well, why would I answer the phone if someone calls me? We, we have a story about fake voicemail, phishing mails that want to steal your passwords. And the reason that these seem to work is because people don't check their voicemails. Then they get emails saying they have voicemails, and they click a link that takes them to something else. But why don't you young people answer the phone anymore? <laughs> well, I, for me, I think that, you know, 90 plus percent of all the phone calls that I get where the number is not programmed into my phone are usually just junk calls. And so I just avoid answering the phone if it's a number I don't recognize or it's not programmed in just because it's chances are it's junk. And if it is something that was important, well, I figured they'll leave me a voicemail. Now, my wife is different. Uh, you know, she actually does answer calls more often. And if it's junk, she hangs up, you know, but I don't get important calls very often. Not not the kind that like I need to answer right now. If somebody wants to leave me a message, that works for me. But the article says that people don't even check voicemails. In particular, the article says that criminals are targeting people in U.S. military and tech organizations. It says that it, it's targeting them with vishing, which is like voicemail phishing. But what it's actually doing is it's sending fake notifications that you got a voicemail to your email. And this is really common in organizations that use voice over IP. Many people these days use voice over IP landline phones at home as well. So this could be something that could affect consumers as well. But the targeted organizations in particular seem to be military and tech companies. And what they're doing is they're sending emails to these uh, potential victims telling them you received a voicemail. And the email, of course, presumably is designed to look like the kind of emails that they would normally get from the organization when they legitimately get a new voicemail through their VoIP system. And so they, they've got a link that says, you know, you know, click here to open up your voicemail and then they're required to log in. Mm, that's a little suspicious. And if they choose to log in, they're actually logging into then a phishing site. And so the people who sent the fake email are now getting your login credentials. Wouldn't you expect to have to log in to get a voicemail that's for you? That's private information, right? You wouldn't you shouldn't be able to get that just by clicking a link. It it certainly depends on the voicemail service, but the thing that of course they should be aware of is you know, check out the URL bar, look at the address, see if that looks familiar, if it's kind of suspicious looking or if you're, for example, if you have your password saved with a password manager and it doesn't autofill, that could be a sign that this is actually a phishing page. If you have a good browser, it's it's not going to allow you to autofill your passwords into a phishing page, any page that's not the legit page. So... My last phone provider in France, I left France a little more than nine years ago, whenever I would get a voicemail, I would get an email saying, you have a voicemail, and it would include a little audio file at a relatively low bit rate that didn't take up a lot of space. 
And and my speculation now looking back is that phone coverage wasn't that great. So maybe, I don't know, you're on a train that has Wi-Fi, but you don't have phone coverage where you are. So they send you the voicemail by email because you might get it by Wi-Fi before you're back in the zone with coverage. It's the only logic I can think of. But for me, it wouldn't be surprising to have a provider that sends me an email telling me I have a voicemail. Yeah. So in any case, this is the latest scam that's going around. So just be aware of that. If you do get an email notification that you got a voicemail, be very careful about it because it could be a scam. Okay. We've got a great story about Strava from The Guardian in the UK. So Strava, if you don't know it, it is an app you use to track runs and rides and climbs and other physical activities outdoors. And it works with GPS and you can make maps so you can see where you've been and you're going to, I guess you can measure your time and your splits. Anyway, we remembered an article from early 2018 where people were discovering from Strava heat maps where there were military bases. So Strava had an option back then where it would simply record someone's location when they were running. It wouldn't show who ran, but it would show that someone ran. And the more people ran in an area, the more lines or the thicker lines there would be. And this was a way of finding in the middle of Afghanistan or something where American military bases were because it's not a place where normal people were. So since then, Strava made some changes in order to uh, – they've, they've added some privacy features so these things don't get recorded. And there's a new really, really clever thing going on where someone has tracked members of the Israeli military using something that's called segments. So The Guardian says anyone can define and compete over segments, short sections of a run or bike ride that may be regularly raced over like a long uphill climb on a popular cycling route or a single circuit of a park. So what they're doing is they're using a GPS app to upload coordinates into Strava and that's trying to tempt people, oh, okay, someone's been doing this segment and I'm going to see if I can do it better. Well, that privacy that I mentioned earlier doesn't work with these segments because when you run a segment, the person who created the segment can see your profile picture, first name, and initial. So imagine a military base and a lot of people like, oh, maybe it was Joe in the next tent who created this segment, so let's all run really fast. And all of a sudden, everyone in the military base is showing up to the person who created this who is, I don't know, in Russia or something. Mm, that's interesting. Now, I would think that it shouldn't be possible for somebody who hasn't actually run that route to be able to create a route like that. That seems um, kind of odd. Well, what the article says is that it's possible to upload GPS coordinates. So it's a kind of a hack mm -hmm. to, even though you haven't run it, you're, you're uploading the data as if you had run it. Honestly, at this point, if you serve in the military or you have any kind of uh, intelligence type job, you really should not be using Strava because <laughs> clearly there's a lot of things that they're just not doing right. They're, they're not thinking these things through. They're not thinking with a security mindset. And that's a real problem. Well, you would expect the military would have banned this by now. And not just Strava. There are plenty of other running apps. I'm thinking of Nike has an app uh, as well. You would expect the military would not allow their members to do anything that exposes their location, because what's important here is not an individual's location, but the idea that there's a group of people in the same area where you wouldn't expect a group of people to be. Another thing that maybe some military-type organizations might want to consider is asking Strava to create, you know, no Strava zones it w so that if you were to use their software – 
in that area, then it wouldn't uh, show you anything. It wouldn't, it wouldn't allow you to save data related to that area. Of course, the obvious problem with that is looking back at what happened in 2018. Now Strava has data basically showing where potential military bases and things like that are. And that's, uh, that's not ideal either, but at least that would prevent things like what has just recently happened, right? (laughs) Where, where someone else is able to find information. Well, wouldn't the no Strava zones also be suspicious? And particularly if someone inside the company or a hacker can get access to the data of the coordinates of no Strava zones, that tells you where the military is. Okay, quickly before the break, we want to talk about CarPlay that Apple presented at the WWDC. The Volkswagen CEO, Herbert Dice, is skeptical that Apple is planning to sell a physical vehicle and believes the company is focusing on cockpit software instead. I just want to remind you that the Volkswagen CEO, Herbert Dice, I assume he was the same CEO who oversaw years of Volkswagen lying about diesel emissions that led to the company being prosecuted, settlements with governments, et cetera, et cetera. So he's not necessarily the most reliable person or Volkswagen in general is not necessarily the most reliable company to tell us the truth. However, I have said all the time, I don't believe Apple's selling a car because there's a lot of work involved to sell a car. And I don't just mean physically making it. It's it's managing the network and, and, and you know having service areas and all that. I've always thought that they were just building an operating system. It kind of makes more sense because then they can sell it to multiple car manufacturers and they don't have to worry about building a car and all the hassle. While there's a lot of money, I was mentioning to you before the show, we have a Toyota, we've got a recall for something we have a Toyota dealer a few miles away, but imagine if Apple's only got a few car dealers in the UK, what are they going to do? Drive 100 miles to pick up the car? Or, you know, it just doesn't seem like something that's going to happen. Well, tell us how you really feel about Volkswagen. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would never buy a Volkswagen after what they did, honestly. This is something that I think Apple could pull off. I, I don't think they would necessarily have to set up a whole bunch of dealerships because they could do something a little bit more like Tesla, right? Where, um, you know, they can send out employees to service a vehicle. There doesn't necessarily have to be like a base of operations in any, you know, major metropolitan area. So there are some ways that I think that Apple could be successful in selling a car. The question still remains, is Apple really planning to get into this space because there's a lot of complications, a lot of regulations they're now going to have to deal with. It's very complicated. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about iCloud. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2022. Indigo's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. Net Barrier, for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware. And much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Monterey and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Indigo Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intigo.com. That's podcast.intigo.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intigo Mac Podcast listeners. Intigo, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts.
Okay, so this is the iCloud episode. We wanted to talk about iCloud, and I, and I wonder if new Apple users really realize how important iCloud is in the sense that it is the backbone of the services behind your Apple device. You literally cannot use an Apple device without iCloud. You have to sign into iCloud to be able to download any apps from the App Store. You have to sign in to use any kind of Apple service if you want to buy any content, rent movies, et cetera, et cetera. iCloud in various forms has been around a long time. It started as iTools back in January 2000, and that would have been presented at the Macworld Expo in San Francisco from the date January 5th. I remember that you got the iDisk with that, and there were always problems mounting it. You got things like photo galleries and stuff like that, and some data syncing. And this was actually back on Mac OS 9, interestingly. This predates Mac OS 10. That's right. So the second version wasn't far after that. It was .Mac in 2002. And at this point, you were getting an email address. So you were getting a Mac.com email address if you wanted it. And 2008 saw MobileMe, and then iCloud came a couple years later. And then iCloud came in 2011. Now, I think we've reached the end of the naming that it's going to be iCloud from here on. So uh, we're going to link to an article I have on the Intego Mac Security blog called Everything You Can Do With iCloud, The Complete Guide. Because if you're new to the Mac or the iPhone, you might not realize all the stuff you can do with iCloud. There's really a lot that is connected with your iCloud account. And now you have an Apple ID. And, and that gives you access to a whole bunch of different things. And your Apple ID is kind of, I, I guess you could say it's effectively part of your iCloud account. It's how you sign into your iCloud account. But you, you get access to a whole bunch of different services. Kirk mentioned, um, you, really, you can't even download an app without having an Apple ID. Uh, all of these things are tied to that same Apple account. A lot of people use iCloud email. It might be their only email address. It might be a secondary address. You know, a lot of people use Gmail. But the idea of having all of this under one roof, email, and we're going to talk about some of the things backup and data sync and photos and all of this, it does make things a lot easier. The only problem is that more and more you're required to use storage that costs money. Now, I think we've talked about this 117 times, the fact that Apple only gives you five gigabytes of storage with an Apple ID. No matter how many devices you have, I've got two Macs, an iPhone, and two iPads, not to mention AirPods, AirPods Max, HomePods, et cetera, et cetera. And I still only have five gigabytes. If only for the devices that need to back up, which is the iOS and iPadOS devices, that's nowhere near enough. So they hit you for a dollar a month if you want 50 gigs, $3 a month for 200, $10 a month for two terabytes. Now, those prices are in line with the industry standard. I think Dropbox and OneDrive are also $10 a month. So if you do need a lot of storage, it's worth it. But you will need to pay for extra storage no matter what if you're using iCloud. Absolutely. And, and it's really important to make sure that you have backups going to iCloud, especially if you're not you know, synchronizing your device with your computer. So you use this storage for a lot of things. And for most people, it's photos. And, and if you look at the screenshot in my article, you'll see that out of my 200 gigabytes, photos takes up about a third of the total storage. Documents takes up about a quarter. And I've got a little less than half, which is free currently. And photos more and more we're taking more photos. We're shooting 4K video at 240 frames per second. I mean, that takes up a lot of space. So you're going to have to pay for the extra storage. But when you think about it and you look at this as a package, you really shouldn't think of the extra storage as 
an Apple tax, but you should think of it as supporting all of your other apps and devices. So iCloud Drive, for example, and, and in a future episode, we'll talk more specifically about what you can do with iCloud Drive. You can use this to store all kinds of files and make them available across your devices. And this is really practical. You can take files from your Mac and put them in iCloud Drive. You can access them on your iPad and your iPhone, assuming there's an app that can read the files on the different devices. Well, since you're going to have to probably pay for storage, once you have paid for it, now you have iCloud Plus. With iCloud Plus, you can now use a custom domain for your iCloud email. So uh, it, you don't necessarily have to use the at iCloud.com or, you know, maybe a legacy address if you still had... If you got it back in the .Mac era, you might still have a, a Mac.com email address. Anytime you have an Apple email address, you have three aliases, Mac.com, Me.com, iCloud.com. So you can use whichever you want. And in fact, in the iCloud settings, you can choose which one is going to be the one that, that you prefer that you're going to be sending email from. So if I were paying for iCloud Plus, then in addition to having those email address aliases, I could also use a custom domain. So I could use the joshmeister.com instead of at iCloud.com, for example. Right. One thing to note, if you do want to use a custom domain, it is treated as an alias for your Apple address. So it goes into your iCloud mailbox. It won't go into a separate mailbox. So it's not really the same as hosting a domain on its own. It's really just creating a, a forward to that address. Some additional things that also come with iCloud so Plus now are talk about iCloud Private, private Relay. relay and hide my Essentially, email. iCloud Private Relay is a proxy service. It's not exactly the same thing as a VPN. It doesn't give you as many features and functionality as an actual VPN service does. But at least it hides your IP address from sites that you visit when you're using Safari. And at it also hides your IP address when you are sending email as well, as long as you're using, again, the Apple Mail app. I, I really like this feature. It's hide my email. Hide my email gives you the opportunity to give a customized, a kind of pseudo randomly generated email address to organizations that you need to create an account with, but you don't necessarily really want them to have your real email address. That's a really nice thing for privacy, and it also allows you to suspend that email address so you can prevent that company from being able to send you email in the future because they no longer have the one email address they had for you. Uh, that email address would no longer work if you chose to revoke that. Okay, one of the elements of iCloud that I think is underappreciated is Find My. Well, you appreciate it if you've forgotten your iPhone and you use Find My to find your iPhone. Um, but the Find My network is really vast and you can find a number of Apple devices. You can find anything like an iPhone or an iPad or a Mac. You can use AirTags, which we've talked about extensively. I'll link to an article about AirTags. You can use it to track items with AirTags. You can find your AirPods if they're lost. This is not only good to find a device, but it's also important to erase a device if it's lost and you're worried that someone might get physical access to it, which would allow them potentially to break into it with some of the many vulnerabilities that affect iOS and iPadOS and macOS. Find My is definitely one of the best features, I think. Um, now, you can get Find My. This does not require iCloud Plus subscription. Um, this is just something that is a natural part of your iCloud account. Right. The only things that are in iCloud Plus are what we talked about before, the iCloud Private Relay, Hide My Email, the custom email domain, and HomeKit Secure Video, which if you have video cameras in your house and you want that data to be secure. One of the other elements of iCloud that a lot of people use is messages. They use Apple's iMessage 
platform. And you're always talking about the difference between the green bubbles and the blue bubbles, and it makes no difference to me. But it's true that iMessage is encrypted, and it is a really powerful service. Yeah, one of the reasons why this makes a a bigger difference to me is because at least if you've got the blue bubbles going on, you know that all the people in that conversation are Apple users, and so they're all using iMessage. It's not going over SMS, which is completely insecure. At least there's some layer of security, even if in some cases Apple might be able to see some of those messages. If you choose to back up your iMessages to iCloud, now Apple can get access to those messages if, for example, law enforcement requests it and so forth. Okay. One of the other big features of iCloud is all the data that it can sync. And I'm just going to go into the Finder on my Mac and look at my iCloud Drive folder. And what's interesting is the number of apps that I have that store data there. Uh, beyond Apple's apps, uh, pages, numbers, keynotes, they store data. But BB Edit, Drafts, IA Writer, Omni Outliner, Pixelmator, Pro... Apple's preview app, shortcuts, text edit, Twitterific, et cetera, et cetera. So you can store files manually in iCloud Drive, but there are apps that do that automatically. And this allows you to access files within apps on multiple devices. It's, it's a kind of a way to sync data from device to device. In some of these cases, these are actual files, and some they're kind of like databases. So for instance, I use Bear, which is a, an app that I use to store a lot of notes, and it puts all its data in iCloud in a database. It's not readable easily, but all of my devices can access this same data. One other feature of uh, iCloud that I really like is iCloud Keychain. This is a, essentially, it's a password manager. It's not as full featured as, you know, other subscription-based password manager services that you can use. Kirk, I, I know you use 1Password. I've used 1Password. Um, there's a number of others, a whole bunch. We actually have an article about that that we can link to in the show notes as well on, on some different password manager options and what to look for when you're choosing a password manager. But if you primarily or exclusively use Apple devices, iCloud Keychain could actually work pretty well for you. It's convenient because it's built into your iOS and macOS devices, and it gives you a really easy way to be able to look up your passwords and automatically sign into websites because your passwords are saved secure as as secure as your iCloud account is, as long as you've got a good password to go along with your Apple ID, then uh, that's how secure all of your other passwords are on your iCloud keychain. Okay, link in the show notes to my article entitled Everything You Can Do With iCloud, The Complete Guide. We'll have another episode soon where we talk more specifically about iCloud Drive, which has some interesting new features. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com.